listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. The president spoke yesterday and, oh, he's electric. He is electric. I swear to you, you know, online, there are people saying it's not him, man. He's wearing a this is an imposter wearing a rubber mask. No, it's not. It is clearly Jeff Dunham's puppet. The angry guy, he's got the same look as that puppet has with his mean, angry eyes. And he's like, okay. Um, anyway, it was electrifying. He uh, wanted to get on the program and say, uh, hey, Israel, 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 we really need to send more money to Ukraine. And what he's doing is he's tying the two of them together. So, you know, if you if you want to help Israel, well, you have to help Ukraine and you have to help Ukraine in an even bigger way, because what Hamas did, I mean, it might have been Vladimir Putin. You don't know. It was horrible. Then he gave a little tip of the hat to anti-Semitism. He's like, you know, there are people who are afraid to wear their their Jewish stars around their neck. And then he went into stories about, you know, Islamophobia. Here he is last night from the Oval. In recent years, too much hate has given too much oxygen, fueling racism, the rise of anti-Semitism, Islamic phobia, right here in America. It's also intensified in the wake of recent events that led to the horrific threats and attacks that both shock us and break our hearts. On October 7th, terror attacks have triggered deep scars and terrible memories in the Jewish community. Today, Jewish families worried about being targeted in school, wearing symbols of their face walking down the street, or going out about their daily lives. And I know many of you in the Muslim American community, the Arab American community, the Palestinian American community, and so many others are outraged and hearted, saying to yourselves, here we go again with Islamophobia Wait, what? and distrust we saw after 9-11. Just last yeah, but he's week, not gonna harp on it. a mother was brutally Uh-oh. stabbed. A little boy here in the United States, a little boy who just turned six mm. years old, was murdered in their home outside of Chicago. His name. Wait, was that because of the Wadiha. gun violence? Or? Wadiha, a proud Wadiha. American, Wadiha. a proud Palestinian American family. Proud Palestinian American. Can't stand American. by and stand silent when this happens. No. Who's we saying that? Without who equivocation. Can we stop for a second? Who is suggesting that we stand quiet while a six-year-old gets killed? Is there anyone? I, I mean, exactly I guess the right. murderer. No one is. No, no one is suggesting that. And that's because you're standing there silently. What? No, I'm not standing there if silently. If you were speaking. Oh, yeah. I, I oppose the murder of all of a... six-year-olds. I don't, I don't know if I needed to be clear about that. Uh, I don't want them dead. Well, I, I want them be. to be alive. You know what else I want to be alive? Uh, one-year-olds and uh, actually uh, people who uh, in the in the womb that haven't even been born yet. I want them to be alive, too. It's just a little thing. Yeah, that it's amazing, I, I, how many, hmm. amazing how many people we want to be alive, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot. I, I, I don't want to uh, just mass murder anybody. It's crazy. Uh, You know, there's uh, also in his speech last night, he warned Israel not to let the fires of hatred and uh, vengeance, you know, boil over. Have you seen that, Stu? Because I haven't seen that. 
No, I think what they want to do is get rid of Hamas. It seems like they want to set up a demilitarized zone uh, in between Gaza and uh, and the rest of Israel. Of course, Israel, Gaza is part of Israel, but that's a whole different story. Uh, but uh, and I don't know if that's going to actually solve this problem at all. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, like he said in there, Glenn, um, you know, these attacks uh, unearthed memories. It had nothing to do with unearthing memories. It had to do with a bunch of people being murdered and raped and decapitated. That's what it had to do with. They were all new memories. All these are now memories for the rest of the country mm. that they need to try to solve so there aren't more memories created in the future. It's not about unearthing memories. It's about brand spanking new ones. I agree with that, but I tend to um, agree with the president on the memories. Jewish people, imagine being a Jew today anywhere in the world. And you grew up hearing stories about your grandparents and how they there was a program and people in Europe or people anywhere were, you know, saying, you know, death to the Jew and they didn't care and they were gassing him and nobody paid attention. And, you know, you grew up hearing those stories and now you find yourself and the memory of what you learned from your grandparents that that's what he's talking about unearthed all of these old memories of these horrors we thought we were beyond this now we're not and in america um you know islamophobia i i I am not afraid of anyone who is in islam i'm not i disagree with their choice of religion but you know if, if it's a reformed which you know you'd be beheaded if you were part of a reformed part of uh, Islam. Uh, but if if it's a reformed and you're like, hey, I'm not asking the rocks to point out the Jews, um, then, you know, fine, cool. We live side by side. But that's not who we're talking about. There's a difference between followers of Islam and Islamicists. We are talking about Islamicists and they should be wiped off the face of the earth. If you believe that um, Allah's laws, where we do ask the rocks to point out the Jews and we throw uh, homosexuals off of buildings like they do in Iran and um, they uh, force women to cover themselves except for the eyes. But I'm a little quite honestly, I think the eyes reveal an awful lot. I mean, they're always women in their eyes. Um, you know, if that's the kind of stuff that you want, you have no place in modern society. Go live in a cave. If you have you, no place. Essentially, if you're uh, in agreement with the Hamas charter, yes. then, you know, yeah, that's, this is what Israel is going to try to solve here. Uh, and uh, they need to. They need to do something about it. Look, it, you know, if it was a terrible, and I agree with you, obviously, like there is such a long history here that there's more to it than just this attack. But if what we were talking about were memories, they wouldn't be doing, they wouldn't be thinking, contemplating a ground invasion right now, right? It's not just memories. It's all of this stuff together, including 1,300 other people slaughtered and hundreds, by the way, including a bunch of Americans who are currently being held hostage. That doesn't seem to be the highest priority of our country. I have never seen a time ever in our history where Americans can be slaughtered and then Americans can be taken hostage. And that's not like the number one conversation in America. Have you? I mean, look, 
Ron DeSantis sent out another plane. We've had planes uh, sent out and coming back. I think more planes are being sent out to help bring home Americans that want to be here, don't want to be trapped in Israel. Our government just can't seem to, they don't care. No matter what he says, well, I see you. Do you? Do you see us? Because a lot of us are flipping you off right now. What do you mean you see me? Then why don't you come over and get me? Why don't you go over and rescue Americans who should be rescued? What do we pay taxes for? How many Americans are kidnapped do we think? 24? I don't know the number off the top of my head. It's, it's a significant amount, of course, and that includes, see, that doesn't see, even count the people who have been murdered in this, also Americans. Right. This wasn't just uh, Israeli right. citizens. And that is, that's amazing that neither you nor I know that number. That's remarkable. We've been talking about this for 10 days, and neither one of us are sure on the number. Why? What, what, what is our president, what is our military doing? What is a higher priority than that? And by the way, you know, for those of you who had, um, you know, the Houthis getting involved uh, in the office pool, you're a winner today. Um, in case you didn't hear, uh, the, uh, a U.S. naval ship uh, shot down Houthi rockets. Now, some might be saying, who are the Houthis? I'm, I'm not going to talk down to you because... Like you, I know exactly the history of the Houthis, um, but I'm going to I'm just going to have to explain it to the dummies. Like it was explained to me yesterday, uh, the Houthis are an Iranian uh, backed um, militant in Yemen. Yeah, Yemen. So these are the people that the United States under Donald Trump were trying to stop. Because they're Iranian. These are the people that the Saudis also have been trying to stop. Because the Saudis and Iran don't get along. And uh, the Houthis have been trying to destabilize Saudi Arabia at behest of the Iranians. So the Houthis sent some rockets. Who knew they even had matches? But they sent some rockets up. They were headed towards Israel, or so we say. And the uh, Navy shot them down. So mm, we're kind of involved now. Kind of involved. I'm glad we shot them down, but kind of involved. Yeah. And I, for those I'm, of you had glad they shot them down for sure. Um, but we were already involved and we're going to be even more involved as this goes on. Oh, yeah. For those of you who had, yeah, I think we could be in World War Three by the end of the year. Uh, I mean, you might be right. You might be right. We'll wait until the end of the year, but uh, you might be right because the way this is now being tied directly to uh, Ukraine, how Russia is backing Iran, how we're backing Israel and Ukraine, the whole Axis ally powers thing uh, is starting starting to really take shape in a, uh, well, in a fireworks sort of presentation for us now. Mm. And by the way, they want to, so, Biden asked for what, $105 billion. Um, now, $14 billion of it, I believe, are, is going to Israel and four times that amount going to Ukraine. That's the current uh, split. 
that they are talking about. Um, and one more note here, Glenn, you uh, on, on the hostage number, um, one of the reasons we don't know the number is because they're still finding bodies. We don't know how many hostages are there. We know that about somewhere over 20 are missing. Um, however, the number of hostages is believed to be lower than that, uh, something like 10, which means uh, there may be you know, another dozen or more Americans that we don't even know where their bodies are yet. Um, maybe they're just missing. Maybe they got out somehow. I mean, we don't know. But we think about 10 at least. This is according to Republican Senator uh, Jim Risch says that about 10 of them um, are actually being held uh, actively captive in uh, in Gaza. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. My good friend, Dr. Gadsad, how are you, sir? Oh, so good to be with you. Thank you. Although I wish I wasn't uh, joining you under such dire circumstances. I know. I've been I've been thinking about you, um, and 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 I have to tell you, Gadsad, maybe you can. Maybe you can describe it. I've asked this of several people, several of my friends, because I don't think I don't think anybody can really understand. And I know I don't. What does it feel like to be Jewish today with the history that you grew up knowing about and the warnings? And now you're seeing it in your country, in my country, all over the world, the same kind of horrid talk about the Jews. What does that feel like? Well, it's disheartening, right? Because as you said, I escaped it in the 70s. We are Lebanese Jews who grew up in Lebanon, where in the Middle East, the entire world, their world is fueled by Jew hatred. Everything is due to the diabolical Jew. And to now see that exact reality being openly condoned in the West uh, is, of course, terrifying, but it's not surprising because demography is destiny. If you allow people from cultures where, according to nonpartisan surveys, there is 95 to 99 percent Jew hatred in those societies, it doesn't take a fancy professor to know that eventually down the line you're going to have, you know, institutionalized, open Jew hatred in the West. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So help me out, because I know you're you're much smarter than I am. How do we solve the problem for let me I just I'm going to say some controversial things and I don't want to get the taint on you. So this is me. But um, we don't we didn't hate the German people. OK, I don't hate the Palestinian people. Um, uh, I, I have I have known Palestinian people. I I uh, I have some Palestinian uh, descent that work for me and they're wonderful. Um, however, when you're talking about the Middle East, just those in Gaza, uh, a study that was taken about 10 years ago showed that 20 or how much was it? 23 or 21 percent of the Palestinians in Gaza believed that it was OK to kill Americans uh, um, on the street in terrorist activities. Now, if that's the way they feel about Americans, uh, you know that number is a lot higher for Jews. And we went into Germany to stop the Nazis, not the Germans, to stop the Nazis. But we did kill all of the Germans, uh, and we should have killed more of them, that were Nazis uh, and were perpetrating these things. Until the people in Germany said, okay, I, we don't want to be a part of this ideology at all. 
Isn't this the same thing? We have to go in and kill those who are either silent uh, and just don't want to be involved, but they're they are involved in their silence or they're actually involved in condone it. Right. Well, look, yesterday I put out a tweet where I said the most dangerous force in nature uh, are human minds, because, uh, you know, that, that it's it's ideologies that that then fuel horrible historical realities. Let me put put it for you in context. And when I was five years old, the pre- the uh, Egyptian president passed away. His name is was Gamal Abdel Nasser. And as often happens in the Middle East, people take off take onto the street and they start protesting. And as I remember, right downstairs from my home, people were screaming, "Death to Jews! Death to Jews!" What did the Jews have to do? With a palace, with a Egyptian president passing away of natural causes, but that's what happened mm-hmm. in the Middle East. Let me give you two more quick stories. When I was in grade, uh, I think it was three or four in Lebanon, uh, the teacher asked people to get up and tell us what they want to be when they grow up. So this guy gets up. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a soccer player. And a friend of mine with whom I used to play got up and said, when I grow up, I want to be a Jew killer to rapturous laughter and clapping. One more story. When we finally left Lebanon and the airplane pilot said that we were now officially out of Lebanese airspace, my mother put a Star of David David around my neck and said, now you can wear this proudly and no longer have to hide your identity. Now, this was in progressive tolerant Lebanon. So again, the, 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 what we need to do is not so much kill other people, but to kill the hate that's in their heart and in their mind. If you're a child and you're taught from age zero that the Jews are the cause of every possible malady and ill in the world, then it's not surprising that they grow up to be Jew haters. So change people's minds and hearts, and hopefully we can have a better future. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we do that by not being tolerant to such dreadful and hateful ideologies, right? And that that was really the point of my previous book, The Parasitic Mind, where I talked about a bunch of parasitic ideas that are infecting the West. So take, for example, cultural relativism, which is an idea pathogen. Cultural relativism basically says, hey, who are we to judge the noble values of the other culture? As a matter of fact, all other cultures are better than ours. We are patriarchal and we're sexist and we're Islamophobic and we're transphobic. So how dare we judge other cultures who may have really nasty views on the Jews or on gays? That would be cultural imperialism. No, there are deontological universal principles. It's not okay to hate other people because of their identity. And if we agree to that, then we shouldn't offer any leeway to the nonsense, for example, that's promulgated on every university campus in the West, right? That's, that, again, is allowed under the guise of cultural relativism. So it's a very, very long war. Yes, we can go into Gaza now and try to root out Hamas, but that's a small drop in the bucket. The bigger issue is a civilizational one. Do you want to tolerate ideologies that are mm-hmm. complete death cults? If yes, then keep, go- keep doing what you're doing. If not, let's fight back. I mean, you have the death cult, and it's not Palestinian or Hamas. You have the death cult in Canada growing and growing and growing. When you will say that a teenager who is depressed uh, can get end-of-life drugs 
from a doctor and they can end their own life, the helping them with suicide, that's a death cult, man. That is a death cult. That that's not somebody who has a terminal illness. Um, and even then, I'm sketchy on that. But I mean, it's you're up. You know, I think it's up to you. But uh, not when it comes to the handicap. Not when it comes to um, uh, people who don't have a good quality of life. You, it's a death cult, and it, 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 it this is. ideology always comes up when marxism is on the rise it's always anti-semitism and death always always and and by the way speaking about you know death cults right now from 10 o'clock in the morning to to noon i'm supposed to be in a university departmental meeting you know why i'm not there and i'm speaking to you other than of course it's always a pleasure to speak to you it's because there are security Hmm. concerns that are looming over me. So imagine a 20, in the 21st century, in Quebec, Canada, a professor does not go to a departmental meeting because of these kinds of realities. So what do you think will happen in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, in 30 years from now? So it is incredible that that which I escaped from the Middle East in the mid-70s has come back to haunt me 45 years later. It's tragic. Um, by the way, um, Gad, I so appreciate your historic look at everything that is going on in the Middle East and has come out of the Middle East. If you would just take a couple of minutes and just explain who Yusuf al-Karadawi uh, was. Oh, yes. So Yusuf al-Karadawi was the head Sunni cleric. I mean, he would be considered, you know, you don't have a position like the Pope, but he would be considered right. the top Islamic theologian in the Sunni world, which is the predominant sect of Islam, right? There's also Shia, there's a few others, but by far the greatest, uh, you know, most populous sect of Islam is Sunni Islam. He was at Al-Azhar University, which is the predominant university of Islamic studies in Egypt. And if you just go and read some of his uh, quotes on the Jews, it would simply baffle you. You could not believe it. But then as I explained the parasitic mind, all sorts of Western imbeciles will come and say, yes, but Yusuf al-Karadawi does not represent true Islam. Oh, okay, let me get this straight. So the guy who is by definition the most knowledgeable about Islam, he's the top Islamic cleric, is misinterpreting Islam, but your friend Ahmad, who eats pork, drinks alcohol and is gay, he's the true representation of Islam. But that's the problem, Glenn, is that there's nothing more dangerous than parasitized minds. That's why I lend my voice to this. Look, I I already lead a very stressful life as a professor. I could just sit back quietly and live my nice, quiet life. The reason why I lend my voice is because I know what's coming down in the final station of the train. And it's not pretty. So if pe- if good people, the people who are listening to your show today, don't decide to get up and participate in the culture war, we will have a repeat of Beirut. It might take 40, 50, 100 years, but it is coming for you. You can't hide from it. Dr. Gadsad, I love you, man. I pray for you. Likewise. And uh, I... Uh, I just love you and uh, appreciate everything you're doing. God bless you. Right back. Talk again you. Thank soon. you so much, Glenn. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. By the way, he says, um, if you would know any of the quotes, let me just give you one. 
throughout history, this is the chief cleric. And by the way, in Qatar. So Qatar is the home of, um, of uh, Al Jazeera. Qatar is the one that is funding, along with Iran, a lot of this extremist terrorist stuff. And we are, quote, friends with Qatar. We should not be friends with Qatar. This is the chief cleric. Throughout history, Allah has imposed upon the Jews people who would punish them for their corruption. The last punishment was carried out by Hitler by means of all the things he did to them. Even though they exaggerated this issue, he managed them to put them in their place. This was a divine punishment for them. Allah willing, the next time will be at the hands of the believers. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. You know, can we go back to the floor of the house because they're they're still voting. Chip Roy is going to join us here in a second. But they're voting and doing a Molinar. call and uh, Jordan. Jordan. Mooney. We just had a Miller Meeks Jordan. vote. Um, and of course, we knew Miller Meeks More was not going Alabama. to vote for Jordan. She's one of the people Jordan. who's been complaining about supposed credible death More threats against her. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Miller Meeks did vote. And I think this is the one thing we can take out of this More vote of is she mm. voted for McHenry. Jeffries. She is uh, one of many now. Moran. I don't know how many there's been total. Ten Moran. maybe that have voted for McHenry. Um, most people, they were voting for either Scalise or McCarthy before Jeffries. this. So this may be a move by them to try to Moran elevate McCar- uh, McHenry as the Jeffries. potential next person, or at least Moulton. in that temp role with expanded powers. Jeffries. I love his fort. Moran. Why not? You know. Uh, okay. Jeffries. <laughs> listen, listen to Moran. the way the woman. Because I love it. She's disgusted Jeffries. by all of it. She calls Murphy Bergier. Jeffries. Jordan. Jaren. Uh, Nadler. Jeffries. Jeffries. Listen to the Jeffries. Nadler. Oh, Jeffries. Jeffries. She's just disgusted by the whole process. She's like Jeffries. a representative of us. I yeah. Nagoose. <laughs> Jeffries. 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 I hate all of you, Nails. but. Okay. Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> it doesn't matter who right, they're voting so for. This is not going to. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is not going uh, anywhere. Um, Stu brings up that this might be to get McHenry in. Um, we were just saying that uh, McCarthy giving the speech for Jeffries uh, might have been not uh, Jim Jordan might have been the uh, the play to get him back in, uh, but. Now that we see 10 people are voting for McHenry, maybe the next the next play is McHenry. Yeah, basically, you're sending messages here, right? If you're opposing Jordan here, who do you want to go to? Who do you think is the realistic possibility? So I think, you know, again, I think both McHenry and McCarthy are the top two possibilities of what we end up with here. Though there's still catastrophic outliers apply. Again, if I were the Democrats right now, what I would be doing is stop nominating Hakeem Jeffries over and over again and getting your 212 votes every single time. If I were them, and please do not listen to me, if you're a Democrat right now with any sort of influence, turn the radio off immediately. But what I would do is find, like, the most moderate, squishy, worst Republican I could think of and just start nominating them in... in, Was that... 
<laughs> Romney is in the Senate and right. he's out soon. So well, yeah, but he might. You're gonna he, have to he, go for the second worst. Well, maybe he will step over. Uh, seriously, like a Mitt right. Romney type yeah. figure, right? Pick someone like that who's going to be super critical of Donald Trump and and uh, is going to agree with you on 30, 40, 50, maybe 80 percent of things and and just vote in unison for him. You'd only have to pick off a few Republicans. You get four or five of them who really like this guy. And all of a sudden you would get you got it. control and this guy would owe you the the mm. loyalties for getting the job. I, why they don't do that, I don't know. Because they're just stupid, or they don't. Uh, they they just can't. They can't pass by Hakeem Jeffries. He's the next guy on the on the list, and he's got all the intersectional values we're voting for today. But, but I'm surprised they haven't at least attempted something like that. Uh, but you know, luckily they haven't, because I think it might work. Uh, right now, though, there's <laughs> there's two McCarthy and McHenry are probably the most likely guys that are going to get this. It does seem like the vote will get worse here for Jordan as well. That's another notable thing. The New York uh, trying to win over the New York representatives does not seem to have worked. Um, and yeah, in fact, Zeldin actually has more votes in this <laughs> in this round than he did in the previous rounds. Uh, again, Zeldin not running, of course, to become speaker, but he's getting a lot of these protest votes. And it does seem like it's going to be higher than the 22 Jordan uh, lost last time. Will this be the end? I mean, I, my guess is I don't think he's going to. He was threatening to make people stay and vote throughout the weekend. I don't know that he's actually going to do that. Um, it doesn't seem like he has a, a chance to pull this off, unfortunately, because I think he'd do a good job. Uh, by the way, I got a uh, I got a copy of Romney's book. Um, the new one that is out, uh, Mitt Romney, and Lucky it's you. a tell-all. Um, oh, I know. Uh, and he talks about it. He talks about me when we met, and he said, I, I was carrying my Bible for some unknown reason, and, uh, and then I sat there and I blubbered. That, that, those are his words. And he just looked at his uh, staff member as I was blubbering on, and uh, he just looked at him mouth, never again. And uh, he hates these these crazy tea party conservatives. And then he does a hatchet job on Mike Lee. Um, there was mm. one race, however, that Romney was following more closely than any other. His fellow Utah Senator Mike Lee was up for reelection, facing off against Evan McMuffin, a moderate. I'm sorry, McMullen. I misread that a moderate independent. Uh, normally, an incumbent Republican would barely have to open his mouth to win in Utah, but Lee was unusually pop, uh, unpopular. A former constitutional law lawyer, he had ridden the 2010 Tea Party wave into the Senate where he made a name for himself as a rabble-rousing wingman to Ted Cruz. When I think of Mike <laughs> Lee, I think of a rabble-rouser. Oh, yeah. Uh, within, within the local Utah establishment, many viewed Lee as a showboating obstructionist. Really? Really? Whose penchant for provocation recently uh, routinely embarrassed his home state and his religion. Um... Uh, man, there is so much here. Uh, then in the aftermath of January 6th, more than 60 leaked tech messages between Lee and the White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows showed the center enthusiastically assisting Trump's plot to overturn the results of the election. In one text, Lee claimed to be spending 14 hours a day on the effort. Yeah, yeah, he was. 
He was doing all the research that he could do. And then he was saying, I don't see a path here. This this is what the Constitution says. And I don't see a path here. But if you want to take it, here's what's constitutional and what's not. And I've been spending 14 hours a day on this. So trust me. That's what he was saying. Um, uh, Romney thought it would be a long shot to beat Mike Lee. But he had no interest wading into the race. He knew he'd, he'd be expected to endorse the Republican incumbent, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. Ugh. In March, he told Politico that he planned to stay neutral because both candidates were friends. It was a bit of a stretch. Romney had only met McMuffin a handful of times. And while he knew Lee much better, their relationship was little more than cordial. It was a tidy way for him to stay on the sidelines. He figured uh, Lee would let it go. But he figured wrong. As Election Day neared, the polls stayed too close for comfort. The National Republican Senatorial Committee was forced to spend its scarce resources. Its scarce resources. They fought a Republican with those resources in Alaska. Forced to spend its scarce resources protecting a seat that was supposed to be in the bag. Party leaders began lobbying Romney behind the scenes. Then a few weeks before the election, Lee appeared on Tucker Carlson's show to call out Romney's lack of support. The host and senator worked as a tag team, with the former ridiculing Romney and later begging for his endorsement. Uh, this guy is Pierre Delecto, who marched with Black Lives Matter, who hates the nuclear family and endorsed the riots. I think he's gone insane, Carlson said. It's noteworthy here that 48 of my other Republican colleagues are on board with me, Lee said. At one point, look, Lee looked right at, straight at the camera to address Romney. Please get on board. Help me win re-election. Help us do that. You can get your entire family to donate to me through Lee4Senate.com. Romney was confused. Why would Mike Lee draw attention to this? Uh, More than that, though, he was galled by the presumption that he should automatically support Lee with no questions asked. This guy, he just, I mean, this is the, this is the, this is the book for elites. If you want to understand elites and how they view the world, and how they hate anyone who is not an elite, who actually believes in something, who believes in the Tea Party. In it, Romney talks about how oh, in 2012 and 2010, he just had to meet with people that his staff said, you really need to get on board if you're going to have a mass uh, you know, wave and you got to get everybody on board. You got to meet with these people. And, uh, oh, he just didn't want to meet with all the Baptists because they were mean. And he just didn't want to meet with the Tea Party people because they were crazy. But he gave it a college try. What a jerk. What a jerk. Um, uh, so if you're elite, that book is coming out soon, I think. So question for you, Glenn. I thought you said it was, his, it was Romney's book, but he's referring to it's Romney. It's Romney's book. It's a yeah, it's it's a book on Romney. Okay. Uh, okay, but it's Romney's book. So yeah, it's a he, tell-all book. Right. He worked closely yeah. with the author in some way. Is uh, the belief? Yeah, that way he can distance himself from anything. You know, of course. 
Of mm. course. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to read it. Um, let me tell you. Well, it'll be on the it'll be the dusty book on the bookshelf if you ever want to pull okay. it down. Perfect. Uh, so, and it will be a collector's item because I, I, I imagine there's going to be tens of them sold well, nationwide. I do hope that this we can finally dispense with this idea that you know what, Mitt Romney. I don't agree with his policies, but I think he's a really good guy. You know, I think he's a wonderful man. You know, sure, sometimes I don't agree with him, but you know what? At the end of the day, he's a really good guy. Is he? Is he? If he's out here leaking uh, BS narratives about private meetings and um, I, did he bring up uh, the, you know, the George Washington letter you gave him that he never returned? Did he ever did he say that in the no, book? No, I've let that. No, I've let that go. Oh, I want to antagonize. Uh, Can I rip at that scab a little bit? Because yeah. I, I want you to remember it. Yeah, thank you. I want you no, to remember that. No, I, I thank you for that. Mm. Uh, just priceless artifact that he just uh, lost. Oh. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, he didn't know I wanted it back. I mean, oh, it's just how could a, anyone know that? And, and a man who loves America, you know, just obviously. A, an original copy of Farewell Address by George Washington. Why would anybody want that back? No, and why would you, you know, hold on to gonna it? You're just going to put this... Mm-hmm. Right, right. I'm just going to put this here on this table for a while in public. Um, anyway, um, uh, the uh, the the other thing you have to uh, glean from this is how disgusted the elites are in our own party by most of the people in their party, the hardworking people, the people that actually believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. They're they're beneath them. And they'll sully themselves if they have to talk to them, but they're not going to like it. This is a really good uh, insider view of an elitist. If you need any more proof. Na, 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 na.